0: Our text words you can find in Genesis 8:20 20 through 22. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor, And the Lord said in his heart, "I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake." And what follows. Our theme then with God's help tonight is grateful worship. Grateful worship. And we will see first that grateful worship builds altars. Builds altars. Second, preaches reconciliation. Third, pleases God. And fourth, reaps Blessings. Grateful worship. Builds altars. And we'll spend most of our time on that tonight. Preaches reconciliation. Pleases God. And reaps blessings. Boys and girls, what must have been for Noah, after one whole year in the ark, to finally come out And Noah, verse 18, went forth. The God who shut the door opened the door and said, Noah, go forth. And Noah steps out onto dry ground. He steps out of the darkness of the ark into the sunlight of God's new earth. And certainly, Noah has marveled at many things. Let me just mention a few of them to you. As he steps out onto dry ground, he must have marveled, don't you think, first of all, at the amazing devastation that God's wrath and judgment had been brought, had been bringing on the earth. All the debris of judgment around him, the decayed remains of, of hundreds, perhaps thousands of human beings, and the carcasses of tens of thousands of animals and all the nature that was so impacted by the floodwaters. He marveled too, don't you think, at the holiness of God, that God was so holy that God destroyed all these people and all these animals in order to start afresh And then he must have marveled at the mercy of God. Why did God save me? He must have looked around and said, Why my family? Children, why you? Dear wife, why you? We were no better. We were no different by nature. What an amazing thing. He looks around. He's the only family on the face of the earth who has been spared from the destruction and has sheer mercy. So I think the overwhelming feeling of Noah, beyond and above this mercy and this holiness and this judgment is this incredible wave of gratitude that must have swept over him. This tremendous sense of indebtedness to God for his mercy and his compassion. Who is this God to give such mercy to such a one as I am, as my family is? Noah can comprehend it. Andrew Bonar, I read once said, I have never been convicted as deeply of sin as I have desired to be. I've never had the freedom to say with Paul that I am the chief of sinners, as I desired to be able to say. But one thing I can say, I am the chief of debtors. You see, when God leads His people one way or another, sometimes into their chief sinnership, when they really see their sin in a profound way, but there are other times that they see their chief debtorship why so good to someone so bad. It would have been entirely right, Lord, to destroy me and my family also. And I think as Noah stepped out of his ark, don't you think that that the thing he wanted to do most of all was to give back his entire life to God? Every thought and every word and every action. Lord, I'm here for only one purpose. I want to live to Thee. I think that's how he felt as he emerged from the ark. And we, we see the proof of it, don't we? Because as soon as he comes forth, verses 18 and 19, we read, and Noah builded an altar. It, it's, it's a wonderful connection, isn't it? A wonderful conjunction. He went forth out of the ark, and Noah builded. it. Before he went into the ark, he was a builder. He comes out of the ark, he's a builder again. But now he's a builder of an altar. Now he's a builder of an altar of thanksgiving. Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. He makes this new dry ground on which he stands. A place of worship. Grateful worship. A place of sacrifice. He offered Of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, burnt offerings on the altar. So what does Noah do? He steps off the ark and he consecrates himself and his family unto the living God. And he takes one of every clean animal. Some people say there were seven clean animals. Some say the seven means there were seven pairs. There were 14. Doesn't make much difference. But one thing is sure, he took one of those clean animals. And there weren't that many clean animals. That was his livelihood, don't forget. That was the food he was going to eat on this new earth. But he takes one of those clean animals. He puts the Lord first. He offers sacrifice unto God. Now, my wonder friend, as you left the Lord's table this morning, what's the first thing you did? How did you feel? Where did you end? Did you thank the Lord with all your heart? Did you bow in adoration? Did you say, Lord God, Thy grace helping me. I will give my entire life from henceforth into Thy service. Did you build an altar spiritually? Did you worship God Gratefully. Now why is that the first thing that Noah does? Well, there are several reasons, I suppose. The first of them must be the glory of God. The glory of God is our supreme purpose of existence, and Noah is very much aware of that, of course. He's a worshiper of God. And Noah knows that the best way to glorify God is in worship. Even in public worship. God has more joy in His people worshiping Him in His sanctuary than He does in all the tents of Jacob, the Bible says. God's favorite place, if I may say it so, on earth, is His house where His people worship Him. That's where He gets supreme glory. And so the first thing Noah does is he takes his little congregation of eight and he surrounds himself by this congregation and he builds an altar and he immediately goes to worship God in gratitude. He obeys the injunction, whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And he seeks to glorify God in the primary way of that glory, public worship. Uh, perhaps you remember a few years ago that we had a series of sermons on what worship is, and in one sermon we sought to build a definition of that of that glorious concept of worship and we we concluded with these words that to worship God is to bow down before his majestic glory and in spirit and truth to gratefully bring him. In and through Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, the honor and the praise that belong exclusively to Him. Now of course, Noah doesn't have the written scriptures, but he's got the, he's got the oral word being passed on. But for the rest, this, this whole definition is exactly what He's doing. He's coming in spirit and truth. He's bowing down before God's majestic glory. He's gratefully bringing God in and through the Messiah to come, the honor and the praise that belong to Him. That's what we need to do in communion, but also post-communion. And friends, is, is that what you did this morning? Is that what you are doing now? Is that what you long to do for the rest of your life? Yes, for all eternity. Do you long to worship God? And do you long to worship God through his word?
1: Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church, and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beeke and Paul Smalley to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Pre-order the culmination of Dr. Beeke's life's work at heritagebooks.org forward slash rst4.
0: I think back of that 90-year-old man I met a few, few weeks ago who said to me, I just love to worship God. I devour the Word. I devour the Word at age 90. So he doesn't look around and say, isn't this something? We've got the whole world. But he looks around and he says, this is God's world. And it's been stained with sin. And all around us, children, you see the the, the, the fruits of the deluge. You see, children, the damage that sin has done. Let us consecrate this earth. Let us consecrate our lives. Let us dedicate all to Thee, the living God. Lord, Thou dost give it to us and we give it back right away to Thee. That's how, we, that's how we are to respond after the Lord's Supper. Whatever we have received. Did you receive special blessing this morning? Give it right back to the Lord. To Thee be the glory. To Thee be our dedication. You see, Noah's building an altar showed what was going on in Noah's heart. It revealed his saving faith. It revealed that Noah's faith moved Godward and that the Spirit of, Spirit of God was leading him to God. It showed that he was a sincere believer. He worshipped God by the Spirit and in truth. Friends, as we move out into this week, and for the rest of our lives, we owe it to our God to put God first. The real question is not, what do I want or what do I get out of something? Or how can I fare? The real question is, what does God want? The real question is, what did God get out of worship this morning? The real question is, how may I, as Calvin put it so succinctly, glorify God? And when we move out Monday morning, back to work as we heard this afternoon, back to the means of grace, back to a secular world, with a carnal heart, with infirmities that abound, will you bend the knee and say, Lord God, give me grace every day to put Thee first and to gratefully do so, as we also heard this afternoon. Not out of compulsion, not out of legalism. Noah didn't have a mandate here to worship God. God. God didn't say, Noah, when you get out of the ark, worship me. Notice Noah waited on God to come out of the ark. But once he came out of the ark, it was spontaneous. He could not but worship God. God loves those who worship him. The Father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth. But I think there's another reason that Noah built an altar right away. And I think that as Noah Noah realized from his own life and from the judgments of God, from that long year in the ark, Noah realized that he could not take a step in the direction, the right direction himself. He needed God's guidance right from the beginning. And so the first thing he must do is he must seek the Lord. Noah wants a single eye, you see. Jesus said it so beautifully, didn't he, in Matthew 6.22. If an eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. You see, that's what we need post-communion. When we go back into the world, we need to have a single mind, a single eye, a set vision to live for God. And we need God's direction on how to do that. That's what Noah wanted. He didn't want to go his own way. He had just seen God's just, destructive power. And now he prays for God's gracious, constructive power to guide him, to lead him. And so he says with the psalmist, It is good for me to draw near to God. Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? Maybe... Those of you who have come to the table this morning, you have left and you are somewhat strengthened, but already the problems of the coming week are looming large for you. So many things to do. So many things impinge themselves upon your life. It's going to be maybe a very busy week to come and you're already feeling overwhelmed and you're wondering how are you going to make it. Oh, put God first. Worship Him first. When you arise from bed in the morning, say, Lord, I don't know how to go through this day, but I will build my altar to Thee through prayer and through the Word. We don't build physical altars today. We've got the means of altar building. The Word, the Scriptures, prayer. We see God's face. That's building an altar, as it were, today. And don't forget as you do that to thank Him for His leadings hitherto and ask Him, Lead me today. That all my decisions today may be right, God-glorifying decisions. That all my duties today I may receive wisdom to do. Lord, help me today. Today, today. Then thirdly, I think Noah had to build an altar right away. Because Noah realized profoundly seeing the whole human race, as it were, die outside of the ark, that true worship and true thanksgiving had been woefully neglected on the earth for many years. Scholars who have worked with the genealogies tell us that a great number of Seth-line had actually died before the flood took place. The the world was indeed filled with incredibly ungodly people who didn't worship God, who didn't thank God. And so when Noah gets out of the ark, he says as a word to his children, perhaps also literally children, this earth has been filled with a lack of worship. And we want to begin with grateful worship. We want to have a right start on the earth. And that's how we must feel post-communion too. I want a right start this week, don't you? Children, you want a right start when you started school a few weeks ago, didn't you? You want a right start and every major decision of your life. Well, if you love the Lord, you want a right start every day, every moment, every decision. Lord, help me to worship thee. Help me not to be one of those people that walks over the earth without worshiping. Help help me to have the core of my life be worship. And then finally, Noah wanted to worship God right away, I think, because he knew that soon all kinds of other things would be clamoring for attention. He was not an ignorant man. He was an experienced builder. He'd been building for a hundred years or more. He knew that it took a while to build homes, especially in that culture. He knew that his children needed their own homes. He knew that they had to prepare food for meals. He knew that he had to, to build uh, for his cattle and for his sheep and shelters and all kinds of things. Well, if there was ever a man who was busy when he got out of the ark, it had to be Noah. But you see, the beauty is that Noah was too much a fearer of God to put off worshiping God to a later date and saying, Lord, I've got some business to tend to first, and then I will come and worship thee. Jesus said, whoever does that is not my disciple. Even if he says, I have to first go bury the dead. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. But you come and first worship me. This is always first congregation. Seeking grateful worship, seeking communion with God is our first task, our immediate task. Delayed communion, delayed worship is no communion, is no worship. And Jesus put it this way, didn't He? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what Noah did. And all other things shall be added unto you. And that's what Noah experienced. And that's what we shall experience as well. If we respond to communion, post-communion, in the right way. Now you and I don't put God first by nature. By nature, we respond to God By saying, our hands are open to receive thy gifts. We want God to supply us with food, with shelter and clothing. All kinds of things. Maybe even the means of grace. Maybe you enjoy coming to church. But by nature, it goes no further than that. Our hands are open for God's gifts to us. But the question that comes to us after the Lord's Supper is are our hands also stretched out to the heavens to give God's gifts back to Him? Like Noah, do we return to God with a broken heart, with a contrite spirit? Do we set up altars of dedication in our families and in our world? Do we surrender ourselves to God spontaneously and wholeheartedly? Are we truly thankful? You see, thankfulness lies at the heart of all true worship. You can't worship God without being grateful to God. And thankfulness can only take place through faith, through faith in Jesus. That's what Noah had clung to before he went into the ark for a hundred plus years. He clung to God's promise, his bare promise by faith. Like the psalmist, he said, in God I will praise his word. That's all Noah had, one word from God or a few words from God. But he kept clinging to that promise. And now, the same faith that Noah depended on by clinging to the promise, that same faith now responds to the fulfillment of the promise by giving everything back to God. And that too is just what happens in the Lord's Supper, isn't it? In the Lord's Supper... We come responding to the promises of God's Word, that in salvation, alone, there's salvation in Christ alone, we have our object of trust. And we come as poor sinners with empty hands. We believe that promise, we embrace it, and in the act of eating the bread and the wine, we visually are assured of it, and we leave the table, and we say, now I have seen the fulfillment with mine own eyes. And now I give thanks back unto God. The psalmist said it is a pleasant thing to praise and to thank the name of the Lord. Why is it pleasant for God's people to give him grateful thanks, grateful worship? Well, there are many reasons why but let me just highlight a few quickly for you. One reason is this. The more we give thanks to God in worship, the more we become aware of what God does for us. Isn't that true? The more we thank Him, the more our eyes go open to how indebted we are to Him. But then too, Thanksgiving is pleasant because it delivers us from a spirit of discontentment. And discontentment can afflict even the children of God. I'll never forget the first church I served. Two God-fearing women who lived in the same street. The one got all kinds of visitors. She was always content with whatever the Lord gave her. She was a happy soul. And the other one was always discontent, always complaining about what she was missing. And she was always complaining that no one came to see her. You see, discontentment breeds ingratitude. And ingratitude robs us of the very blessings we yearn to have. Thanksgiving is a remedy for a murmuring spirit. And then, too, thanksgiving is pleasant because it helps us maintain communion with God. Isn't it true that if someone is very grateful for what you do for them, isn't it true that you want to be around that person more? You enjoy their fellowship. They're so thankful. You say, oh, I'm glad I did that for that person because you can see their gratitude. Well, isn't that how God responds to us?
1: Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beaky. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeaky.org.